it's also important to remember that we now live in a world where the for the first time really in our long evolution most of the stresses we face today are psychological not physical you know we're no longer facing the stress of fighting saber-toothed tigers but fighting with deadlines keeping other people like bosses or clients or stakeholders happy we're much more psychologically stressed than physically stressed and so exercise can help with both the physical stress release and the psychological stress release welcome to the virgin active minds podcast by virgin active where we dive deep into conversations with the best and the brightest minds in the health and well-being world if you've got questions about health exercise or any dimension of well-being we've got the answers one expert at a time i'm mark cedar your host because i love all things well-being from exercise work relationships and going deep inside our minds i'm here to explore it all with you this is what they came for welcome to part two of our chat with matt hughes if you haven't checked out part one yet then maybe skip back to last week's episode listen to that one first otherwise here we are are there other threats to our resilience everybody's unique and the threats faced will be specific to their own journey and but given our work around the globe we've we've been able to identify there's four consistent threats to personal resilience that we keep hearing and i've come to refer to them as the abcds because that's easy to remember and they actually directly relate to what's going on in the world today so i'll talk through each one and and I'd love to get your perspective on these as well. So the first one is is A, ambiguity. The second one is burnout, B for burnout. Then we've got consumption, which is the C, and then D is devices. So ambiguity, burnout, consumption, devices. With ambiguity, the word ambiguity means something that can be understood in more than one way. Let's look at the pandemic. None of us had previously lived through a pandemic like COVID-19. So we had no prior knowledge how to cope and respond. And the human brain tries to resolve uncertainty and this kind of massive ambiguity with routines. So to deal with this, what we've seen is that people have often picked up a new hobby or they set an exercise schedule or they arranged a weekly call with some friends or family. Or we've also seen people having a few drinks and scrolling endlessly through negative news or social media became their coping strategy. And this is because we learned as part of the pandemic to hunker down to avoid a virus and emotionally hunker down to cope with the stress. And Benjamin Franklin once said that only two things in life are unavoidable, death and taxes. But if he was writing that today it would be different. He would have said death, taxes and stress. The greatest threat to our personal resilience is persistent stress and fear caused by unrelenting ambiguity. Mm, mm. It's, I mean, even ambiguity in, in the sense that it, it still feels like no one knows how to handle this pandemic, right? Like that's been a huge... <laughs> That's personally been a challenge for me. I've, I've yeah. been looking at the way that different governments has handled this situation. And, you know, we hear this word unprecedented all the time. And it's just, 
but it's your job. <laughs> like, yeah. let, let's get on with it. Yeah. Like what is going on? That, yeah, that, that level of ambiguity for me in this period of just like, yeah, this government's doing this, this government's doing that, this state is doing this, this state's doing that. And it's like, what the hell? Like, yeah. what the hell? It's really kind of tested the way that I look at how we are governed. Yeah. Yeah. And without getting into the politics, which, yeah, as you said, is ambiguous in itself, the the it's not just the pandemic. Before the pandemic in Australia and around the world, there were bushfires. Then the pandemic came and then there's been flooding and then there's been the war going on in Europe at the moment. And then we've got this mosquito from Japan and, it's just it's unrelenting and and mm. the world isn't getting any less ambiguous anytime soon and it's almost like the world wasn't it, it, it's not any more ambiguous it's more there's just so much information and so much news from around the world impacting us now previously i can remember a time when it was just local news i'm not even that mm. old it's just local news that you were you were consuming yes there was the occasional global threat or global incident that you'd hear on your local news but today because of social media and because of globalization it's all of the issues from around the world are compounding and it's they may not even be impacting us locally but because of the news that's being reported we feel like there's that constant threat and uh, and so given it's not going away anytime soon the antidote to ambiguity is 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 taking time to consciously monitor the situations we're facing and our reactions to them and then learning some healthy coping strategies. And that links into the next one, which is B, burnout. And we've seen people from 25 plus countries consistently reporting having to-do lists as long as their arms. And many people think that resilience is about enduring more and more stress. And we've all seen and heard people talk about how busy they are and how stressed they are. And they wear it as some kind of badge of honour for how important or resilient they must be. But the opposite is true. Resilience is as much about how you're able to recharge as how much you can endure. And resilient people know that they are no use to anybody if they reach burnout. And instead, they've learned optimal self-care habits for managing their energy and well-being and they're actually able to give stress the boot and minimize their risk of fatigue and burnout Mm, mm. yeah i mean burnout it's um you know it's been something that i've uh, been I, i guess managing i don't like saying that word but you know something that i've been working on managing mm. for for quite a while even down to the language and especially around the busy word um i've consciously tried to make a change in the last couple of years of using different language as a tool to not layer myself and and it's you know and i hear i hear it when you you know oh i'm so busy therefore i'm very important and look at me but it's i've been trying to use different language such as i'm really engaged with what i'm doing right now you know like it's just and i'm it might it might still mean that my plate is really full, yeah. but just engaging in a different, in engaging with it differently, it doesn't create as much stress, I guess, you know, like I'm actually really engaged with what I'm doing. It still means I'm doing a lot, but I'm, it's, it feels like, uh, it feels different to just, you know, oh, I'm too busy. Oh, too busy. 
Wonderful. You've just engaged a really important resilience technique, which is managing your self-talk. What you've done there, Mark, is you've changed the mantra that you give yourself on a daily basis about your, your workload. Instead of saying, I'm busy, you've reframed that to how engaged you feel. And so you're managing your self-talk, which then has an impact on how you think about, feel about, and then respond to the comes up in the day Mm. so that's a brilliant technique to be able to do that and it's great that you've been able to do that and there's so many ways to manage burnout but what we're seeing consistently is that it is linked to people's workloads and this it's almost like an unrelenting or unrealistic expectation of themselves and others and you know high performers especially they have they have such high expectations of themselves and often of others that and the pandemic is, and all the situations faced are forcing them to get that they're not able to be as effective, be as productive. So they're having to reframe what they can get done in the day mm. and, and how they can get it done. But they, they won't let up on that unrelenting expectation of themselves. And they're actually creating their own burnout. And it may be not even their boss or their business expects them to work as hard as they are. It's just become a self fulfilling prophecy for them. Mm. So managing self talk like you have is fantastic. Mm. And look, maybe the maybe the house prices in Sydney also just forces people to continue just overwork all the time, which links brilliantly with our C for consumption, right? Oh, and exactly, con- consumption refers to the threat of binging on too much of anything as a coping strategy, and you know it might be that you do have a lifestyle where you're required to consume you know to keep up with the joneses you know your house and the things that you like to buy for yourself and your family but it's important to know that consumption is not just about food or tangible things things we can buy in fact many people have reported their increased stress has caused them to eat less or consume less not more in that sense The biggest threat in terms of consumption that we're seeing is consumption of, we've talked about this already, negative news. And and we're going to continue facing this because of, as I said, clickbait is essential for for generating revenue for the, the media companies that put that information in front of us. There was actually, and it's been estimated that we now spend an average of 12 plus hours per day on digital media. And there's actually a term that was coined a few years ago regarding the the consumption of negative news which is doom scrolling and this is the tendency to continue scrolling negative news even though that news is saddening it's disheartening or it's even depressing now it's a trickery one here right because we need to keep up with what's happening that might be affecting us in the world but then not get sucked in and so the best way in terms of consumption of, of news the best way i've found to get around that and still keep up with what's going on is to set yourself a strict time limit and intent for your news reading or your consumption of digital media and then stop when you've reached that Mm. that limit or that intent Mm. consumption is just mm, it's such (laughs) this just in my mind right now there's this spider web of where consumption goes and you know of course as a yoga teacher it's something that has been part of yoga for a really long time um and there's a few different ways that yoga looks at consumption um but you know it kind of last night teaching my classes i asked you know the 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 the, 
the intention of my classes last night was a question. And the question was, who are you when you aren't doing or producing? And it was kind of like, you know, we fill up even the fleeting moments of space and stillness and quiet, we fill up with Netflix or doom scrolling or, you know, some sort of device, which as you just said, is now at 12 hours a day. (laughs) Like it's, it's a bit nuts, you know, and I feel like there's this, there's this drive to continuously consume. And is that, and that was really what I was trying to get to last night, is is that drive to consume always in fear of what's, well, in fear of something? Mm. And what Mm. is that something? Is it, you know, that, that sense of just being with yourself or just being alone with yourself? Um, and it then follows on into buying things and buying cars and buying big houses because this is how we've taught ourselves to be happy. Yep. It's just consuming all this stuff and then that has an effect on the environment and, you know, yep. it goes on and on and on. What a fantastic question to to set as an intention for a yoga class. I might have to come and do one of your yoga classes <laughs> soon, Mark. The, and you've touched on the answer to that question around what someone's reason for consumption i can't answer that because everybody is different and Mm. everybody has their reasons for why they're filling their time in certain ways versus others with regards to the devices part of it you could argue that the common thread between these abcs of ambiguity burnout and consumption is the fourth most common threat that we're hearing about across the world devices and I'm talking here about smartphones, smartwatches, and any other device that has the word smart in it, which is really the tech company's way of cheekily saying smarter than its users. I'm joking, of course. That's not what tech companies meant by the name. But, you know, smarter than us, these devices are. They're, of course, brilliant. They have made our lives easier and they've made communication more convenient. You know, I'm my family on the other side of the world, and wow, I wouldn't even be able to keep in touch with them. And I haven't seen them because of the pandemic for many years now. And thanks to tech devices, I'm able to keep in touch with them. So I'm not, I'm not hating on devices here, but we've become addicted to them. We carry them around wherever we go. We let them sit with us and our families at the dinner table. We cuddle up next to them in bed at night, and we even invite them to listen in on our daily habits and conversations. And the problem is is we think we're in control of our devices, but the truth is that they are mostly in control of us. And that's because the apps and the notification settings inbuilt into them are using the same dopamine reward mechanisms as casino slot machines. Without proper management of our devices and those all those apps, they will ding, buzz, chirp, ring, whatever it takes to grab our attention and make us use them. And we're quite literally gambling our time away with the frivolous notifications that come through. And those notifications, they get us to take some kind of action that we weren't otherwise thinking about. And it steals our attention and energy away from more meaningful and important pursuits that we're doing. And unfortunately, the consumption part of that is the addiction part. And they're serving up in our news feeds adverts and they're serving up information on friends and 
you know, we think we're in control of all of that, but that's all algorithms. And the developers and the manufacturers of these devices and apps, they need us to use them. They need us to rely on them to work and live. Otherwise, we might stop using their app that generates them advertising revenue. Or worse still, we might realize we can actually live without these smart devices at all and then not pay thousands of dollars in hardware each year. And Mark, I actually recently considered getting rid of my smartphone device altogether Mm. and going back to one of those old school analog phones, you know, with the giant buttons (laughs) and no apps built into them. And as the universe would have it, my device broke, my smartphone device broke. (laughs) And I, I had to send it off to the insurance company. And while I was waiting, it took them ages to get it back. No names mentioned, but it took a couple of weeks. And I took it as the universe saying, go on then, see if you can live without this thing. And what it's made me realize is which of those incredible pieces of apps or technology on there I actually can't live without and so I've got my new phone back and there are only four apps that I have on my new phone and boy is it liberating wow I would love to join you in that pursuit (laughs) (laughs) I've um I did just read a book um and one of their tools was doing the same thing just cutting out lots of apps on the phone and just having the the bare few that you truly do need in today's modern world. Um, I'm yet to get there, but I did spend, oh, this was a few years ago, but I spent four months living in an ashram in India and I didn't even take my phone. And of course it's a very, you know, I was in an ashram living in India. So, you know, the need for the phone was of course a lot less that, that I want to make that point, but Life without it, oh, so liberating. (laughs) And it's so interesting what you say about, you know, we think we're in control. And I think that's where I've been, especially since reading that book in January. I think I've been in this place of, oh, I get it. But you know what? I think I'm in control of my use. Um, But I'm clearly not. Like even since reading that book in January, my, you know, my weekly update of how much time I'm spending on that device has increased since then so it's it's clearly not working and and absolutely i I, you you what you just said then about being in you know being in control i'm not in control yeah yeah it's it's something i even myself personally really needs to look at yeah well two things you can try here one that most smart devices now tell you how long you've been using them or when you've been using them you can go into the settings and see how long you've spent looking at the device and opening it and closing it etc so that might shock you into changing your usage the second one is to try and identify the benefits when you don't use it versus when you do and the biggest shift for me there is i i caught myself being on my phone during the week after work hours and sometimes on the weekend around my children And I started to notice them becoming increasingly interested in my device. And to the point that, of course, if a child's seeing their parent who they idolize staring at this little device for all hours of the day, they're going to think this device is pretty damn important and pretty damn special if that's taking them away from everything else they could be doing and spending time with their child. So children grow up wanting one. Mm. They grow up wanting that thing their parents have had. And so that, that in itself 
wow, overnight gone. I, this thing is no longer intervening in my time with children and having that impact on their lives. They may choose to have a device and want to use it. That's that's up to them. But me influencing that, that felt really wrong. Mm, mm. Um, I did want to ask around mental health, um, which, of course, all of these things we've just spoken about plays a, plays a part. Um, but you know, mental health challenges, uh, anxiety and depression, um, how are they, are they, you know, I guess how does that interplay with resilience? What is the relationship between being resilient and, you know, the challenges that we are all at some stage will or have or are currently experiencing? Yeah, there is a direct link, absolutely. One of the benefits identified in psychology research and literature regarding resilience is that higher levels of resilience correlates with greater psychological health and a lower risk for depression. I'm I'm not a clinical psychologist or an expert on depression. In our training, if our coaches and counsellors identify anyone who is facing crushing events such as major health mental health challenges or the loss of a loved one then they're they're assisted in receiving professional support one-to-one which is far more suitable than group resilience training and so I will say to anyone listening who is experiencing mental health challenges but doesn't have any support with this then it's important to know that you're not alone and help is always available one of the key habits resilient people have developed and often apply on a daily basis is asking others for help. They know that their social resilience is about building strong, trusted relationships and and asking others for help is a way to build trust and connection with others. Asking for help from others also provides us with a different perspective, which ties into the resilience skill of mental agility. And so if you're someone who thinks asking for help is a weakness and you're experiencing anxiety or depression and you're struggling with that, but you think it's a weakness or you don't currently have someone to get help from, then a quick resilience boosting strategy you can immediately try is seeking and finding an expert to assist you and see for yourself the the benefits that it brings. Mm. And on the other side of the coin, what's the relationship between resilience and things like joy and contentment? Yeah, it's a similar it's a similar story. We resilience is good for our health, our wealth, and our belonging, right? So it's been found to again higher levels of resilience compared to lower levels of resilience. So people who are found to have higher levels of resilience compared to lower um, have greater academic and career success they have greater psychological well-being and mental health so their experience in life in those more positive states of mind that you mentioned rather than the the more limiting states of mind and they have better relationships so these are these are correlated outcomes that we see with people who have high levels of resilience. So that's why I say it's great for your health, it's great for your wealth, and it's it's great for your belonging. And belonging has become a real issue throughout the pandemic. You know, there's this thing of the great resignation, and people in drones are, are leaving their the, their careers for years in the workplaces that they they're in, and businesses are struggling with the retention of staff as a result. 
and it's it's because of that that lack of connection and belonging that we all need as human beings um and so that's that's where that social resilience comes in so there's there's links to resilience on both ends of the spectrum people often get confused between resilience and well-being like they're one in the same thing you can think of well-being as a temporary state of being that fluctuates whereas resilience is a set of skills and abilities that we talked about with the the outcome of which is optimal well-being so they're not the same resilience done properly and learned and applied properly equals well-being mm. yeah i like i like that uh, definition explanation i think is the right word right um can you talk to us about what minimizing is and why do we do it to each other <laughs> Minimizing, yes, absolutely. This is relative to social resilience. Minimizing is is lazy empathy. It's called minimizing because you take someone's problems and you make them smaller. You're hearing what the other person is saying, but instead of taking the time to truly understand what's going on for them in their world, you fire off lame and lazy responses that you're intending to inject positivity and make them feel better. You know, you say things like, oh, you'll be okay, or you'll figure it out, or things will get easier, or it's pretty common surgery. And I came across this term when my daughter was going through pretty common surgery that a friend said to me, you know, she was having a a surgery on her ears, nose and throat. And yes, it's common surgery in that lots of people were going through it or have gone through it. But it's the first time my daughter, my, my first child, Uh, at that time was going under major surgery so it wasn't common for me and so the thing with minimizing is when a colleague a friend or a loved one shares something difficult with you they're they're most likely looking for someone to listen not someone to inject them with positivity Mm, mm. yeah there's a conversation i've been looking at around the positivity bias as well um and that's a really, probably another podcast, really. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> another conversation. Um, and so, do you, yeah, you said then, didn't you, that that is part of this minimizing as part of social um, mm-hmm. resilience and I guess a way that we can consider how we are working with our teams and loved ones in creating that shared resilience. Yes. Resilient people are able to build strong trust in relationships that they can draw on in difficult times. It's a resilience buffer to have a strong social support network. And so by minimizing, when somebody's sharing something difficult with us, by minimizing and just injecting positivity at them, we're actually eroding trust. And trust is like the oil in in the engine of a car. Like a car doesn't run without oil in the engine. Relationships don't run without trust in the engine. So actually what you're doing is you're eroding your relationships, eroding your social networks and support systems, and therefore eroding your resilience. Uh, And so the opposite of this is to to apply genuine empathy. You acknowledge their pain. You know, I'm really sorry to hear you going through this. This must be really hard for you. You you show gratitude that they're they're sharing with you. You know, I'm pleased that our friendship means you feel you can share this with me. You're interested to know exactly how their experience is playing out for them. You know, what has this been like for you in your family? How how have you coped with what's been happening? And then ultimately, you offer some kind of support and help. You know, and when it comes to empathy, our actions 
often if not always speak far louder than our words and and a hug you know sending flowers writing a note or even lightening someone's workload in some way are far more meaningful than injecting words of positivity Mm -hmm. um shameless plug for exercise because we we, we are an exercise brand virgin active i've heard that exercise can help you become more resilient is that the truth is that the truth you have good source of information mark (laughs) your consumption there's been right um exercise does a fantastic job of produce of producing and firing endorphins around the body which are the body's feel-good hormones and exercise has also been found to reduce stress hormones which together combined together the, the endorphins and reducing stress hormones help foster relaxation which as a yoga teacher you would know all about and when we feel good we think good and when we think good we feel good so it's a virtuous cycle and exercise can help us to let go of stress and tension while also giving our brain's time to recharge while our bodies do some work and that's especially important for people who sit at a desk or in an office all day every day and you know to get that physical change up for our bodies and our minds and just it all being about deep thinking so making time for our brains to rest especially when doing lots of deep thinking has been found to help with creativity and problem solving so taking time out for exercise is a win-win yeah (laughs) No one loses. <laughs> no, nobody loses. Yeah. And it's it's also important to remember that we now live in a world where the for the first time, really in our long evolution, most of the stresses we face today are psychological, not physical. You know, we're no longer facing the stress of fighting saber-toothed tigers or or hunting and killing an animal to to, to be able to feed ourselves and our family. At least I hope no one's having to to do that. But fighting with deadlines, keeping other people like bosses or clients or stakeholders happy, we're much more psychologically stressed than physically stressed. And so exercise can help with both the physical stress release and the psychological stress Mm. release. So you've heard it here, guys. Um, From Matt Hughes himself, (laughs) exercise is good for everybody. (laughs) And it's right, like, like, you know, going out for a a long walk or going out to, of course, to do yoga or a run or whatever, Um, you know, of course that's good for you and it makes you feel good. And I think we all definitely understand that. But it also helps you to be that better person for those around you and therefore it truly is good for for all. Um. But moving on from exercise, uh, what would be, you know, if you're if, if for the listeners today thinking, OK, um, I want to work on my resilience, um, what would be some of the top things that they could potentially do from today? Yeah, there are lots of activities and habits that can be practiced for monitoring and cultivating optimal resilience. I'm mindful that everyone listening is unique. And so what works for one person may not work for another. And many people listening, if not everybody listening, has probably already got a lot of habits they know about or have tried or are trying. But maybe you're not thinking of them as being resilience boosting. So the first activity I'd suggest is taking some time out to identify two or three habits you know work for boosting your resilience and well-being, but maybe for some reason you've let these habits slip or you've stopped doing them. You know, as you said, this might be an exercise regime uh, or meditation twice a week or doing a silent walk with the dog before breakfast. 
Some people like reading for 30 minutes before bed instead of watching Netflix as a resilience boosting strategy. And as I said earlier, a key part of our resilience training actually involves empowering people to identify the habits they know work for them or are perhaps doing unconsciously and without proper awareness. And so then we help them to to raise that awareness and then help them to build a routine that makes those habits a ritual. And, you know, it's interesting. We've got there's lots of things I could talk about and lots of habits, but there's three things that are easy to do and can be done immediately and are guaranteed to boost anyone's resilience. And I'll briefly talk about these three now, which are internal jogging, getting perspective and allowing space for sadness and plombs. So just quickly, the the internal jogging, this is, this is not about physical fitness because it's quite possible to be a person who runs eight kilometers or swims three kilometers every day and still be a psychological mess, right? Physical fitness is important, but you, you also need to be aware of the importance of internal fitness. And that really comes down to practicing laughter and having a positive, positive attitude to life and living. And I, I often say that sometimes a change of attitude can be as good for our health as a five-kilometer run. And laughter is internal jogging. You know, when we laugh, our, you not only re- reduce distress, but you exercise your diaphragm, your spleen, your digestive system, and all the other parts of your insides that are so important to your health. You know, you increase the strength of your immune system. You alter the chemical makeup of your brain. So it actually chemically helps you feel better. And it also exercises face muscles and keeps them toned up. So anybody that's worried about wrinkle control, and I think it was George George Orwell who said that you have the face you deserve at 50. So taking some time for internal jogging every day is the first resilience priority. And personally, other than watching sorry, other than making time for watching funny TV shows and Seinfeld's one of my favorites. My approach for applying internal jogging each day is to reframe whatever I'm facing as a funny story. And this resilience boosting strategy is used in stoicism to, to, to think as you're going through a hardship, how would I tell someone else about this situation in a funny way at some mm. point in the future? Mm. Really neat, really neat strategy to do in the moment. So that's the first one. The second one is the second priority that anyone can apply instantly is get perspective. And talking about Stoicism, Epictetus was one of the earliest resilience disciples in ancient Stoic times. And he said that we're not troubled by things, but by the opinions which we have of things. And what he was basically saying is it's the events and situations and people that we experience are are, are not positive or negative. It's our interpretation of them that makes them positive or negative. And we talk to ourselves at a rate of, of 120 words per minute. And most of it might just be negative. So running through the terrible things we're hearing on the news, the change that might be coming, imagining the worst you know, worry is focused on things you don't want to have happen vividly and with emotion. And that is really a waste of time. And Baz Luhrmann famously said, worrying about the future is as effective as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubblegum. <laughs> he said the real troubles in your life will always be the things that never crossed your worried mind. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important message in today's time. Fear is real. 
but the situations presenting themselves as, as fear may not be because our brains cannot tell the difference between a vividly imagined experience and reality. And you only have to think about when you wake up from a nightmare. It all happens in your head, but you wake up terrified with physical reactions like sweating and heavy breathing. And no physical event actually occurred, but your mind did it all. So constantly worrying about the past or the future, you end up with a mind consumed by what did happen or what might happen and end up with a spiraling inability to enjoy what is happening right here and now. And I know your work in yoga is really about focusing on the here and now, isn't it? And getting perspective for what's being faced right now. 100%. And then the third and final one is, uh, we've talked about this before, in terms of the plums, but allowing space for sadness and plums. You know, with negative news and information has come to dominate the headlines we see and the conversations we have. And nobody has made it through the pandemic without experiencing some kind of, of major loss or trauma. I've personally lost three close family members in the last two years. I have a family member right now terminally ill with cancer and a sibling struggling with mental health issues with no way to get back to the UK anytime soon to be part of the grieving process with my family. And I'm grateful that I live in a world with virtual funerals, but for anyone that's experienced them, it's, it's really awful being mm. away from, from that and not being part of it. And so allowing space for sadness and, and being a plum at times, as we said, it's, it's the way we navigate to happiness we can't go around sadness or avoid it we often have to go through it and mental health doesn't mean always being happy because if it did nobody would qualify and uh, the only path to happiness is through sadness not around it mm -hmm. yeah uh, it's something we also teach in yoga is you know this a simple saying that it's okay if it's hard right like even down to the physical practice of yoga it is okay to do hard things, you know. It, that's that's part of this experience on this planet is that there are going to be really easy, lovely things and there's going to be really challenging, hard things. And it's how we step into those two spaces or places or feelings that can make the difference. Um, and, you know, looking at these tools of resilience and having sadness and plumminess as yeah. <laughs> a you know there allow space for that I, I think that's really beautiful you know it's kind of a for me hearing that it's like oh yeah I can I can take that layer off you know like sometimes yeah I am going to be sad sometimes I am going to be you know in that kind of victim mentality and yep. that's okay absolutely to quote the German theologist Albert Schweitzer in everyone's life at some time or another or in a fire goes out and it is then burst into flame by an, an encounter with another human being and we should all be thankful for those people who rekindle the human spirit and what i take from that is there is absolutely no shame in struggling or needing help to get less stuck when feeling stuck or feeling like a plum ask asking ourselves what do i need right now and who can help we are social beings. We've become the most dominant and resilient species on the planet because of our ability to socially organize and collaborate and support each other. And we can't achieve greatness on our own. We And we typically can't get through great threats on our own either. So seeking help 
is a strength, not a weakness, and it can provide an immediate boost in our resilience. And I like to quote Dumbledore from Harry Harry Potter, who said, help will always be given at Hogwarts to those who ask for it. Mm. And look, that it just reminds me of a podcast I just recorded recently with a humanist chaplain, and the greatest lesson that he has learnt by being with people on their deathbed is that by far relationships, the importance of them and the, you know, and of course the mending of relationships um, and for some the regrets they've had about relationships is by far the number one thing. So isn't that interesting, you know, we're kind of finishing now on the same thing, you know, like we are social, we are social beings. It is okay to ask for help. It's a recommendation, ask for help, you know, reach out. Um, And, you know, from that previous conversation, from those who are on their deathbed are saying the same thing, you know, relationships are so important and so key. Nobody gets to the end of their life and wishes they'd worked more. Mm. That's right. For very few people, they wish they'd spent more time with loved ones and did more amazing things, saw more amazing places. That's right. That's right. And, you, yeah, and whether it's work or working to make more, to buy that house, to buy that car, I think at that point in our lives we're not thinking about the house and the car. And that house and car is not coming with us either. <laughs> There's no point being the richest dead person in the funeral, <laughs> in, the, uh, in, the, in the grave, is it? That's grave. right. That's right. <laughs> you can't take it with you. <laughs> Do something good with it before you go. <laughs> Matt, this has been such a fantastic conversation. Um, there is so much in here that I cannot wait to go back and re-listen and actually write down some of these tools for myself for sure. Um, before we finish... What do you want more than anything else in this life? Yeah, not to sound too much like a beauty pageant queen trying to to win with my hopes for world peace. <laughs> but I do really want more than anything that we can find a path into the future for ourselves as individuals, for our children and for their children, that it isn't consumed by a digital reality or a metaverse, as they're calling it now. And instead, it involves leaving and thriving from the real verse leaving behind and thriving from the real verse or mother nature and and this wonderful place that we currently get to call home if we don't get a grip on climate change threats and can't let go of the constant need for consumption and our addiction for digital media then the benefits of nature and humanity as we know if we as we've known throughout our time on this planet it's going to be gone forever I don't want to sound all doom and gloom on that, but our resilience is directly into interwoven with the resilience of this planet by working on our, our own resilience and, and the resilience of the people around us. We're inadvertently helping the planet and vice versa. We're all becoming more aware and more conscious of how we're operating and how we're, we're impacting on each other and this planet. And, and, and that's really why when people invest in resilience training with us, we've also got, a bit of a social giving model where we we drive social change as well with with the donations we're able to make from our work to really to charities and partners who are who are helping to build the resilience of others and the planet so that's that's my hope what a beautiful message and vision 
um, to finish with. Thank you so much, Matt. Um, where can people find you uh, if they want to reach out? Yeah, after work today, I'm going to be out surfing at my local surf spot if anyone's about. <laughs> Getting my scheduled self-care today. Otherwise, uh, via LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn, or, or our contact details could be found on our website, ripen.be. We'll also be sharing a link with this podcast for anyone wanting to receive fortnightly resilience tips in their inbox. And that includes a short insight each fortnight that people can immediately apply for cultivating their biological, cognitive and social resilience. So if anybody wants to start their journey or continue their journey into personal resilience, then that, that might be something that can help. Beautiful. Well, you have my email, so please sign me up. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. Matthews, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Namaste. Thanks so much for pressing play today. I hope you've enjoyed this chat and I hope you've discovered a tool or two that could help get you started on developing your awareness of your own levels of resilience and what you need to build on them. If you're loving this podcast, then please hit subscribe, tell a friend, give us a rating. Until next time, bye for now.